Welcome to the Digital Forester podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester podcast. Today, I'm joined by Alex Myers. He's the COO and co-founder of TimberEye. Alex, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. Awesome. Good stuff. So we were just kind of joking early at the start as warm up. We had never met before. So we're coming at this brand new or like people who don't know each other. So we're going to have this great conversation since we'll be asking and talking about all these things that that you and I have never talked about in person. And, and often that makes the best podcast. So start us off with where we reaching you from. Uh, we just joked you're in Africa. We'll come back to that, I'm sure. But where is home base for you? Yeah, home base for uh, whenever I'm back in the U.S. is Portland, Oregon for now. I spent a good time uh, uh, last five years or so in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, That's a lot of our businesses in the southeast U.S. with southern yellow pine log exporters. So geographically, it's a little bit easier to uh, make a two-hour drive to Savannah from Charlotte or three-hour drive rather than make like a full week from uh, Portland, Oregon. But for the time being, I'm uh, I'm stationed here here in Oregon. For sure, for sure. And we were joking at the start, you know, the life as the entrepreneur, like it's all travel on hundred foot yachts with our Lamborghinis, Porsches and all these toys for furthest from the truth, right? Economy class, we're with the the, the coach, the right, the, the cattle in the back of the airplane rocking it out, no, but like nobody else and just doing what we got to do to kind of to, to chase our dreams, right? So, um, yeah. so maybe to start us off, how did you get into forestry? I think looking at your LinkedIn profile, there's you worked in the space for quite a while, neat background. But maybe for our listeners, introduce us to, to how you got started in forestry and and your career path to date. Sure. Yeah. No. Um. I've been in the forest products industry for close to thirteen or fourteen years now. I'm actually fifth generation in forest products industry, so I never really had a chance to do anything else. I uh, I'd come home. Uh, as a young kid and see my dad, he was a lumber wholesaler. I worked for a, a, a small company that he owned, uh, you know, coming home from a long day's work, pulling his hair out. And I'm like, I'm never going to do anything like this. I have nothing to do with the forest products industry. And then um, uh, shortly after college, I called him up and said, hey, I'm kind of interested in uh, in learning a little bit more about this. And the rest was history. I jumped in and joined his company. And um, it's a really it's a really terrific industry with a lot of great people and just fell in love with it from the start. So um, worked my way up from, uh, you know, like sweeping sawmill floors to, uh, pulling lumber off the green chain and, you know, getting to know the forest products industry from the ground up and, uh, just really loved everything about it. But that was a little bit about how I got started in it. Just, uh, everyone in the family did it. And that was like, it was written in the stars, I guess. Fifth generation. Wow. That's imp- impressive. I, I, I often joke with people somehow, no matter what, for many of us, no matter what happens, our parents are always right. We end up trying to go a, a route that we don't want to do what dad or mom did. And sometimes we just end up doing exactly what it is we maybe uh, tried to rail against in our youth. We're not doing that. I don't want to work so hard. And, and yet here we are in that yeah. space. So out of curiosity, what is what does dad think about what you're doing now? You know, I spent a lot of time working with my dad for the majority of my career. I worked with him alongside of his wholesale forest products company. Um, I would say he was very proud of me. I Before I joined Timber, I was with a commoditech startup company, um, and it was a big leap. I had been in forest products wholesale most of my career. Um, we had operated a sawmill in the Pacific Northwest. We had operated log yards. We'd done a lot of uh, partnership, uh, like consignment business on the East Coast. 
Um, so it was, you know, wholesale lumber was really like my bread and butter and, and stepping out of my comfort zone and going into technology was a big leap for me. Um, of course he was really supportive of it and said, Hey, you know, like, um, yeah, I think this is a great opportunity and I think you should pursue it. And so, um, I would say generally very supportive. Very cool. Very cool. I'm sure he would have more praise and and other words to say, uh, about his son and the direction he's going. You're in the family business. You're in the the sector. So that, that's great. So with Timberi, maybe for our listeners, introduce us to the genesis of uh, Timberi. We're 2023. If my research is right, you, you've been doing some R and D, getting things going. You're the co-founder. Let me. What what's the what's the origin story? Where where did Timberi come from? Was it the classic at a pub with someone you knew, or is it two strangers that walk past each other and and just happen to rub shoulders. What's what's the story? Maybe a little bit of everything there. Um, so my co-founder, uh, Scott Gregg, was the one that originally started TimberEye. And he started TimberEye working with one of the largest uh, container exporters in the Southeast at the time, back in 2020. And Scott had originally built TimberEye to try to be the best of the world at scaling a log using a mobile device. Um, we we both had actually worked for a commoditech company together prior to TimberEye, and we were doing a lot of uh, Southern Yellow Pine log exports and just realized we had really terrible data to go off of. Everything was measured by hand with a tape measure. Uh, another guy would sit next to him, write it down on a clipboard. Uh, it was kind of like, you know, chicken scratch handwriting. They would take that to the back office. Someone not too enthused would be punching that into Excel, and then we have our bad data to go off of. And we just realized we were shipping logs for free. We were getting claims overseas due to measurement discrepancies. And just like the whole process was really from inbound to outbound was a complete mess. So we looked into other solutions out there. You know, how could we manage our data a little bit better? Is there any digital log scaling software out there? And we found a couple and I knew about a couple in the past that had approached it more of like an object detection approach where you'd, you'd measure maybe a pile of logs, but... <clears throat> It's like, what do you do with that data once once you've measured that pile of logs? It's really difficult to move the asset from there. So uh, back in 2020, there were some really interesting things happening with Edge Vision and the iPhone. The iPhone 12 Pro had just come out late 2020 and embedded a LiDAR device in it. And a LiDAR used to be uh, a standalone up to $60,000 device that Apple had now embedded into $1,000 iPhones. So we're like, okay, now we can with these two new tools that weren't available to us, you know, a few years ago, we can actually extract the logs, um, extract the logs, you know, point of view from its imagery and be able to accurately scale a log using the mobile device. And we took that to the Southeast US and Scott had worked with the largest, you know, container exporter down there. And he says, hey, this is great, but what do we do about moving the log into a container? What do I do about my row management? How do I deal with you know, if we say a log went to row one and it physically went to row two, how do we manage that? You know, what if we, what if a tag falls off? So there's all these different operational nuances that we never really anticipated. So, you know, actually scaling a log, that part was great. And it's like, Hey, this is, this is actually great technology, but what do we do to move the asset through, through our supply chain? Um, so beyond building the scaling device, we built an operating system with it that Basically, an operator will apply a QR code to the small end diameter of a log. They'll scale the log using TimberEye. And then with that QR code, we can move it to a row within the yard. We can shove it into a container and get our export uh, documentation, like packing list, invoices, things like that. 
or if we need to transfer that asset to another customer in the supply chain, maybe it's a forester who's selling to a sawmill, um, that asset's now being able to not only be tracked on a log level, but be able to be uh, managed and transferred between businesses, which is something that in the industry doesn't exist right now. So we're really like approaching Timbri from a log level perspective rather than a pile level perspective. That's really how you get your most granular detailed data. And then with that, you can do a lot more with it and, and digest really powerful analytics with when you have actual log level data. So that's a little bit about how we started. And, um, you know, it's like I said, we started in the Southeast U US um, after we had built that operating system, it went really well. We were able to get a lot of usership um, with log exporters. We decided to take the technology and go down to South America and fl fell flat on our face. Everybody down there was doing break bulks. So it was different commodities, um, different means of how they brought logs into their yard. And now we're dealing with vessels and, you know, compartments and things like that, stowage plans. So we had to, you know, we went down there, we spent months like living down there, um, re-engineering the, the software to, to make it fit for break bulk exporters. And then, okay, we got this nailed down. So let's go to Africa and let's, now that we've, we've seen everything, we're going to go to Africa and we're just going to nail it there. Same thing. We fell flat on our face. We're like, they had all these new terms, like what's a plantation compartments, you know, stack, they call them stacks. We call them, you know, rows and you're up to call them piles. So everywhere we went, we had to adjust the software to fit these new use cases without making it too robust where we just had everything piled into one, one app. We had to really be cognizant of, you know, how do we factor this down to being able to a, a, attack as many use cases as possible without, but, but make this thing really simple for an operator to use, just be able to pick up a phone and be able to scale logs, which is ultimately, you know, the, the, the goal of the app. Yeah. So very, very cool. Thanks for sharing that. And, and lots of, lots of questions are bubbling up into my mind. And the benefit is I get to ask all the really dumb questions as, as the, the, the host here, I guess here. Um, so, so what I'm hearing is, you know, the iPhone 12 and it's kind of funny. We just kind of, it wasn't that long ago, right? Like, like I think I'm still rocking a 13 Pro Max. I know the 14, but it feels like a really long time ago. The 12, oh, that's such an old clunky thing. Before we get into some of the, the tech questions, I'm just curious uh, before I lose the thought, the iPhone seemed to have the LiDAR. Android phones, not so much. What, what do you think, what do you think the speculate, what would you speculate uh, uh, would be the reason why we're not seeing that? lidar push on the android because i'm sure going to brazil and africa you know apple's kind of the shiny shiny thing that i'm sure you've been asked like hey i got this cheap android thing can i can i use that and maybe it's on your number one faq no it doesn't work with that but just before i lose a train of thought what what do you think about the whole android thing and is it just apple just being more forward thinking with the technology and executing a different strategy or do you not even hear the android world at all i'd be surprised if that was the case but we don't spend a lot of time, you know, in the Android world, but if I had to guess, I would say Apple is a little bit more developer friendly and having that tool created a lot of new opportunities for developers to, to create apps within their app store. I, I would say that would probably be one of the primary reasons. And that, that really is a challenge because in America, you know, most people have iPhones. It's not an issue, you know, for an operator to be carrying an iPhone. We went to, you know, Africa, a lot of the operators had never even seen an iPhone before. So how do we address that issue? Because we don't, you know, it's not available for uh, like Samsung devices or um, or any Android devices to have LiDAR. So, so you need to have an iPhone to use Timbri just to scale the log. So we would, you know, take the hassle out of um, that barrier of entry by bringing them the iPhone. So normally when we go into a place where iPhones aren't accessible, 
I mean, because you go to Africa and they're like three, four times the cost of what we what we can get them for here in America. So we'll end up bringing all the iPhones down with like suitcases full of iPhones and we're handing out iPhones to these oh, operators. You must have been Customs Best Friend doing that, right? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it's part of the uh, the onboarding package, so to speak. You know, if you go with Tim Bride, then you, then you keep these things. But um, I think originally when we approached these markets, that was the first thing they, that was one of their big, uh, you know, barriers of entry is what how do we get our hands on these iPhones can be way too expensive to get all these in front of our operators so we said listen let's uh let's take that pain point out of it we'll bring the iPhones and then we can really see if this is a cost benefit to the business which has worked out really well it's easy for us to get these devices and bring them to them and um, so that's our strategy for now I think we're gonna eventually move the technology into Android devices just mainly for um, the business analytics side of it um, for operators that need to move logs, but not necessarily scale them. Um, right. Tell there's a, you know, a suitable LiDAR device within an Android. Um, Apple will be the dominant player for us until, until that happens. But once, once we kind of feel that there may be some LiDAR technologies coming out for Android, it's, it's definitely been a, a big request for people. Hey, when are you going to do this for Android? And it's like, well, time will tell, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, if I could, we we would. And yeah, that's often when we think about strategy, right? You see the the new uh, spatial computing is, is what I think Apple calls it, right? They're obviously executing a strategy that that was part of it, bringing the LiDAR to bear in their uh, AR world. But but back to the Timberite technology. So we're, we're scaling logs. Um, you've got some software that I'm assuming has some AI component that will scan and then take measurements um of of this log the, tell me more about the qr code is this um something that's printed you know someone's got a printer on the hip and it comes out in magic paper that never dissolves or erodes or no insects or can never be lit on flame or maybe you want to use it for other purposes in an emergency but um tell me more about that side of that mechanics like you're obviously solving a problem there but is this a smooth process for the average Joe listening going like, Hey, I want to call, you know, Alex out and uh, up and, and trial this. Like what's, what's that, that, that process look like uh, in the day to day? Yeah. So most, um, <clears throat> most everything's done on our print app. So we created a print app that will actually print out these QR codes. Um, it's a four inch by three inch standard um, non-adhesive tag. So we put that in like a, uh, an industrial printer, like a ZT 411. So a customer can order their own blank tags, uh, have the ZT411 on site, and then they can print up to you know twenty thousand QR codes a day on site. So that makes it really easy for them uh, to be able to have tag inventory without ordering it. Because that a couple of things that we noticed: one, with inventory delays uh, when operation just doesn't have tags, that can be obviously a huge problem. But then also duplicate tags. So we use a thirty-two character UUID. Um, to avoid any chance of that ever happening. And the print app manages all that within within house. So we're able to print, you know, millions of QR codes without any chance of any duplicates. And that's kind of gives us a little bit of peace of mind that we don't run into those data discrepancies. And so some of our listeners who might be going, you, 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 who, what? Like explain to us, you, you, ID, what, what does that mean for the, the average Joe Force? It's a unique ID. And uh, it's a, for us, it's a 32 character alpha and, and numeric uh, digit. That's basically, you can print like millions of tags a day and it would take, you know, tens of thousands of years for you to hit a duplicate. It's uh, it's, it's a character combination of just random letters and, and numbers that make an impossible uh, outcome for trying to duplicate a tag. 
right. and gives gives the log its actual unique identif and identifier. Unique ID, gotcha. And then so these QR codes print out and we're just stapling them. Any special magic and staples, stapling technology, or it's your average run of the mill? Yeah, I can, it depends on the operation, what kind of stapler they want to use. So like in America, they like to use the hammer stapler and they'll put, you know, one staple on the top left, one staple on the on the bottom right. Um, it's a standard 6.2 centimeter QR code for larger, like, you know, 10, 20 centimeter uh, diameter logs and bigger. And we also make the QR code smaller for like mining and timber or uh, um, other like smaller building and fencing poles that you'd see in Africa. So depending on the size of the QR code, um, our app will adjust to know what size of QR that it's reading. And I'm hoping it's not the norm that you have to bundle the stapler because then you would definitely be customs worst nightmare of, you know, we tons know, of iPhones. And what are these sharp pointy things, Mr. Meyer, you're bringing on this flight? The funny thing is the one thing that gets us stopped the most is the QR codes, like a roll of QR codes that looks like what? the most suspicious thing to them. And we'll have staple like hammer staplers. I mean, they look, you know, really weird going through the, uh, you know, the x-ray, yeah. I'm sure. But it's always the QR codes that get them. They'll pull out these QR codes and say, what are you doing with these? And then you got to pull out your app and show them what we do. And yeah. um yeah, well, or, or you get to use your UUID, do the explanation. Well, you see, each one has a... I try to UUID. try to keep it as simple as possible for those guys, just because uh, overcomplicating it probably gets into trouble. But um, yeah, that and a stack of like 10, 15 iPhones in your bag will will definitely raise some questions. But Man, guaranteed you got ear tags and all these things uh, to track, uh, track the necessities you need to onboard the customers. Okay, yeah. so they go ahead and print and they scan so I can I can work offline. I don't need an internet connection or do I need some special communication satellite uplinks for for TimberEye to work? Yeah, so to get everything from the client to server side, you would need a data connection, but we developed the app to be able to function offline. Um, really, we discovered that when we went down to Argentina for the first time working in remote forests with no internet, no data, not even close to data. Um, so we really had to configure the app to be able to manage that and really kind of put everything client side before they're able to go back to a reliable internet connection and then just upload the data. Um, if you're working in internet in real time, then everything's syncing with the server in real time. So no matter where the, um, you know, the business administration sits in the world, they can see what's going on between all of their yards in real time and see, and see live updates. Um, okay. one of the hacks for this that we started with, uh, when we went to Brazil, where it was available was to use Starlink devices and they would go out to the plantations uh, like put jumper cables on their pickup and then get the Starlink out and then they'd have internet rolling. They'd be able to sync their data in real time. And then in between inbound trucks, the operators could watch Netflix and, you know, have like a uh, unlimited data plan where they could, you know, at least blow off a little steam in between uh, in between work trucks. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's that's incredible. So it's fascinating to hear the, this this technology. And, and, and you've mentioned, you know, you, you were in the U.S. Southeast and you went to to Latin America and Africa. Has this been a easy adoption curve for TimberEye or have you bumped into... Uh, you know, aside from the the requirements or the use cases kind of changing by geography, but has the the adoption from your customer base been pretty smooth or or has it been challenging to convince them that this is a way to go in the future or the future is already here and you just need to need to embrace it? I think one of the strong points for us, and that's a really good question. I think one thing for us when we walk into a new business, it's very exciting for them to see what we've built. It's really cool technology for one, but also, 
no matter where you go in the world, a lot of the problems exist in the same manner. So it's duplicate tags, it's lost revenue due to claims on the other side, measurement issues. It all kind of distills back to like very simple problems that when we go in, we're saying, hey, this is what we think that you're experiencing based on our, you know, experience in this industry or, you know, the certain subsector of forest products that you're engaged in. Um, so the initial excitement for them is there. The hardest part is the adoption of, you know, getting an operator who's used to using a tape measure and writing it on a clipboard to use a phone. Most of the time we find that they're really excited to use this because, you know, they're no longer sticky fingers or like, you know, with the sap on the tape measure, it's a lot quicker. Um, it makes their job a lot easier, but I think, you know, like going zero to one in technology where technology really doesn't exist. I think there's always going to be barriers to entry. Everyone's really stuck in their ways, even if it's the way is broken, it's the way they've been doing it. And that's really hard sometimes to move off of. So a lot of our strategy is it's not just, Hey, here's Timber. I go download it and then go nuts. We'll actually fly out to wherever you're at in the world. We'll spend weeks at a time with you. We have an open channel WhatsApp group with all the operators. So anyone who's got any issues or, um, you know, has any questions whatsoever, we have people stationed all over the world that can get back to you immediately and make sure that you're, you know, having a good experience with it. Um, once we've crossed that and they've gotten to use it and then run in parallel with their current system and see that Timber is giving them better data, it's quicker, then it becomes a lot easier for them to to move it through other parts of the organization and then and then adopt it for for their primary system. So as far as new customer adoption, it's been very strong. Um, I've had relatively no churn whatsoever. I think uh, people are seeing that it's fixing a lot of the problems that seemed unfixable before. And we're really excited to keep building on on that premise alone. Yeah. So you mentioned quicker. What what is quicker quicker mean to someone who's listening and going, oh, Alex, I've heard this before. I've seen this, you know, 30 years ago, someone said you can do this thing. And the Starling thing, it's like never even heard of it, but I know it doesn't work. I'm yeah. joking, of course. But when you say quicker, what what would we share with these 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 other folks that that may need a little bit more convincing? Sure. I think um it all starts with the scaling and you could say, Hey, the scaling's quicker, but really is it? So if you think about how scaling traditionally is done now, it's at least one guy with a tape measure and another person writing down the stats is timber. quicker in that case. Yes. And no, a guy still has to now apply a QR code, which takes some time. That's the worst part about the job in, in its entirety is the guy that has to put on the QR codes um, scaling. The log becomes quicker instead of them finding What's the small axis? What's the long axis of this log? They just push a button and Timber does all that for them. Um, so that part we find is quicker. You can have half the labor force measuring the logs. You don't need the other guy to sit there with the, you know, with the clipboard and write things down. So there's a little bit of a trade-off there in, in terms of quickness and accuracy. Where it really starts to pay off in terms of how much faster it is, is when we start moving the asset through the supply chain. So if I need to move a pile of logs from you know, this row over to this row, I can digitally do that with the click of a button. If I need to audit a row and figure out how many trucks did I say went to this row actually physically made it into this row, it's a swipe of the QRs and then it's done. If I need to load a container, I stage the logs, I swipe my phone in front of the QR codes, I load it, it's gone. Um, so we're, we're eliminating a lot of the, you know, counting each individual piece, reconciling that in the back office. That's really where the time saved. And we find that really the people that enjoy this the most is, you know, the back office and administration that say, hey, I don't have to do like all this 
additional data validation with pictures and counting each one that we had in there, all these other two-step processes that are now just embedded in one really easy to use app. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I could see that, you know, the, the data entry uh, errors that can arise and, and that, that goes away. Now you mentioned the measurements on long and the short axis. So that's again, accuracy and, and precision. I know I looked at uh, some, some data in my research, uh, what is it? 0.3 centimeters. As I write in those measurements uh, per se, like that tight around 0.3 to 0.5, you know, that's, that's our tolerance level. And that's what, yeah, we advertise on that. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So when, when you, when you went through this journey, I'm just curious, you, you mentioned, you know, people wanting to adopt and sometimes it's a bit quicker, any pattern you're seeing in terms of, uh, well, I should preface this something, some of us are noticing is, um, and no disrespect to the, the the people that have worked in, you know, the force sector, the the force industry for multiple decades. But we're definitely seeing a shift where um, the younger workforce is coming into the space with built-in expectations. They grew up with Reddit, right, versus some gray hair again. Not disrespecting the gray hair, Michael. Like Reddit, like like what Reddit? Like what are you guys yeah. talking about? But they're coming in with a different skill set. And I'm just curious because you're dealing with this new technology. Have you noticed a pattern where there's a correlation between adoption and demographics or where people are in their career? I think so. I think you nailed it. The, the younger generation that are interested in forest products, which, you know, are are not extremely robust, um, are finding that this, you know, new way to approach it using technology is pretty interesting. You see a lot in like uh, Carbon credits are a big one right now. Um, climate tech, using drones to map the environment of a plantation. There are really cool things that are happening in forest products that didn't exist at all within the last, like, you know, maybe five to 10 years. Um, you kind of attribute that to the demographic as well. I think the older generations have only known one way, and it's the way that's worked, and it's the way that it's going to continue to work for them. So even if they're having these issues with claims or, you know, bad data. I think it's just like, Hey, this is the norm. This is the way that my grandfather did it and his grandfather. And this is the way I'm going to do it. And I'm going to try to get my son to do it like this. But I think the newer generation is seeing that there's a much easier way to approach the problems and, you know, utilizing technology to, to fix some of these problems is, is necessary to move forward. Um, so yeah, we see that a lot of the younger operators, a lot of the younger uh, business owners are really quick to adopt this and, and get it right away. Um, some of the older generation have, have seen, um, maybe some, you know, subpar technology companies or things that didn't quite work well for them, try to go in and, and fail. Maybe they're a little bit too early in their development or just didn't quite fix the problems they were looking to fix. Um, and say, Hey, you know, we, we've tried that before we hear that, you know, eh, we've had a few companies come in here and try that and didn't work. And it's kind of like, you have the resuscitate that account and say, Hey, there's actually something brand new. And this just happened within the last couple of years and let us show you what we have. And try to reinvigorate, you know, some of those guys that are uh, not so easy to adopt to technology. Yeah, for sure. And so I guess when we think about developing technology, it's super cool, by the way. Um, was this a straight shot or was there a lot of, because I'm sensing there's some uh, machine computer vision because you're you're using the LiDAR and measurements. I, I assume there's some imagery, some AI, maybe some machine learning, but to get to the point where you were, you had your MVP or minimal viable product, was that a straight shot journey where it was just like you and you and your, your co-founder were just in sync, just execute, execute, or are there any entrepreneurial speed bumps or stories that you would share with the audience to say, well, 
you know, we are where we are from a lot of work for sure, but there was also these these things that were, you know, pivotal moments in Timberize career that got us to where we need to be. Because often it's like the the successful idea is not the first one we come up with. It's the second one or the third one. The first one is kind of an entry door. But any fun stories or cool stories you can share about that entrepreneurial journey with you and your co-founder? Yeah, I would say, you know, it was roughly a straight shot, a little bit of a windy one. I mean, there's always like uh, other other things that are pulling you in multiple different directions. Hey, if we would if we just scrap what we're doing here and just go down this road. Um, I think the the main point for us was like, let's be the best in the world at scaling a log and let's be the best in the world at moving it and controlling the asset. And I think the beginning stages of that were, you know, this where we were first developing the technology from, you know, hey, we, we were able to get a log to scale and it's like six centimeters off and like you can have the phone on for two minutes and it'll completely burn your hand and fry the phone and things like that. So the early stages of like, even is this possible? That was like pretty fun to go through um, to the point where we scaled the first log and, you know, it would, it used to be where it would throw a number at you or, you know, once you've, once you've closed it out, it would show you what's your small and long axis. We put our tape measures up. How close is it? Oh, it's, you know, five centimeters off. Wow. That's amazing. That's great. We're getting there. And I'll remember uh, I was sitting in an airport leaving uh, Savannah, Georgia, when we were first testing like this in beta and my co-founder, his, his ideas are just like, he's always thinking about the next thing, the next thing. He's like, what if we, what if we, you know, you ever heard of Pokemon Go? What if we did this in augmented reality? I'm like, let's just try to figure out how to scale a log. And I think like two weeks later, he had this built in augmented reality. And now like when you would scale a log, it would put an augmented reality check mark on it. Or at that time it would show you the diameter, but um, it really the, the very first like months, weeks into this thing were really cool to just see, like, I can't believe this is actually, or this is being built. And, uh, that's attributed to to Scott and and uh, how smart the guy is. He's uh, he's pretty incredible with, on the development side to to be able to put a product like this to market. So it sounds like Scott is a technical founder. Then if he's got the the ninja skills to kind of put some of these Pokemon Go ideas into action and bring them to to life, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's our CTO and CEO. Um, previously worked for Boston Consulting Group. Um, just a really 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 talented developer and really. Between the two of us, um, you know, I kind of explained that here's my, you know, background in the industry and, you know, the knowledge that I can bring to it and the technical side for him. So we have like a really good, uh, you know, really good sense of path about what really needs to be done to to solve some of these issues in the industry and and have like a really like mindset about it. So it's, it's really enjoyable to work with him. Sure, for sure. So, so I'm going to kind of take you down a little path. We've talked a little timber, and, and hopefully, if we are, if our conversation goes the right way, it'll, it'll reconnect back to to timber. But I'm just curious about your your what you're seeing on the landscape from a technology point of view, because you 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 made the comment around you know climate tax space, carbon space. There has been maybe not as much, still quite a bit of VC money that was pumping, and that's a bit of a a different beast where, you know, you know, venture capital dollars are coming in and they have the expectation, what is it? Triple, triple, double, 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 you know, grow at all costs, even though now maybe they've dialed that back and it's focused more on profitability. Uh, you know, imagine that a business that's actually profitable versus growth and, and burning uh, cash, like no create, no tomorrow. But thinking of that, um, do you guys get caught up in that climate tech space? Like, I don't know if you're structured like bootstrapped or or whatnot, but uh, I guess that's the first question. Are you guys caught up in that space? And if so, how does that influence how you conduct your business of forestry technology? Because 
that Silicon Valley tech is, I would say, very different than maybe the traditional Joe Forrester or Jane Forrester type of, of thing. So maybe I'll start with that question and just say, like, what do you see on the landscape in the technology space for for forestry? Does it get you excited? And if so, what are some of these elements that that you're keeping your eye on? Yeah, and uh, we're we're definitely in the venture back space. We were fortunate enough to link up some really uh, terrific investors at Box Group and uh, Construct Capital and Floating Point, who supported us in our in our early round. Um, and it, it, yeah, I think in the VC world, um, and especially in force box right now that there are some hot buttons like carbon credits or climate tech and, um, as technology progresses and seeing what this technology can do for, you know, mapping an entire forest and figuring out how many cubic meters are in this forest or what's the, uh, you know, what's the growth rates of these forests. These are really interesting things that technology solving where it used to be a guy that would, you know, cruise a forest and do averages by measuring, you know, breast height diameters of logs and, and timing of plantations and things like this. So I think we, we do get pulled in different directions in that regard. We've had, you know, uh, carbon credit companies reach out to us to see if there's synergy between what we do and what they do. Um, you know, these are obviously, I think venture has woken up to the fact that there's a massive TAM here that's completely unlocked by technology. And there's a lot of hungry new entrepreneurs that want to take a bite out of that massive TAM. But, um, you know, for us, it's really just about where are the problems? What can this technology fix in the short term? And where can it go, you know, years ahead? I think the way that we focus on just being the best of the world at scaling a log, being the best of the world at moving that log, there's a lot of things that we can stem from that. So our whole purpose is really about market network effects. So we want to make sure that we're covering as much square footage in the world as humanly possible, getting people to adopt TimberEye. From there, we can build really cool tools on top of that. Without the without the network, you really you really aren't going to be successful in trying to build some end to end marketplace or you know like a, a carbon credit marketplace or anything like that uh, without having your base you know network users uh, to support any growth ideas like that. So. Mm-hmm. For us, it's, you know, capture the network. Um, there's a lot of cool things that we're doing with uh, partner connectivity where, you know, you have foresters that need to share relevant information, maybe their transporters or maybe their uh, customers, or, you know, packing list or log level data, or maybe it's weight scale data or anything like that. Um, you know, making export documents that are compliant with letters of credit overseas, which are a tricky one for, you know, people that sell to China and India on these really strict deadlines with really strict contracts. Um, just kind of focusing for us on the core problems. And I think uh, the more that uh, we go down the line, I'm sure that some of these other, you know, ideas that are pulling on our sleeves might uh, might come to fruition. But for us, it's just all about, you know, be laser focused right now and and stay, uh, keep your eyes on the, on the prize. Yeah, absolutely. Focus, focus, focus. And for our listeners, TAM, total addressable market, a uh, way of communicating to people what the opportunity could be. What well, what do you guys peg, peg the TAM as uh, for you guys today when you say it's a big, big opportunity? It's a, it's a bit of a moving target to hit depending on like what subsector we're looking at. So in the world of logs, and you could you can base that down to, you know, pulp or saw log, is it domestic or export? Um, you know, there's roughly like 2 billion cubic meters of logs that are processed globally annually. Um, for us, we're attacking the log market specifically. Um, with that, we're developing technology to be able to do this for lumber products as well. So we want to eventually be able to stem from log to sawmill to lumber output and be able to track that efficiently. So as you layer in these different, you know, um, subsets of forest products like lumber or, you know, components or finished products, things like that. 
the TAM starts to get, you know, get pretty big. Um, you know, it's it's a multi-billion dollar TAM, if not trillion, when you start talking logs and lumber in conjunction. Um, so there's a there's a pretty big bite to take out of this thing for the for the companies that that approach it correctly. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm curious to know, and thanks for sharing that. I, I know there's I can already picture some of the listeners that are are, are maybe faithful followers of this podcast, and, and they're probably laughing right now as they listen. Uh, but they're going to ask me the question, or they're channeling, going, "All right, you got to ask: Is this a subscription type of sale, or is it more usage based, where it's it's uh, you know how much volume, and we're we're taking a piece of that? Is it just a one time cost? Is there anything you can share uh, for our listeners in terms of what type of model you Timberize subscribes to or follows?" Yeah, so that was one that we we spent a lot of time on and seeing how other companies were approaching this. Um, we saw, I think the one thing about forest products to be fair in this industry is that it's cyclical and it runs in ebbs and flows. And one month you may be producing, you know, 100,000 cubic meters, the next you may be completely curtailed. And I think paying for software when you're not actually utilizing it, it's a little bit of a faux pas for us. So the way we approach it is no contracts, no device fees, no annual commitments, no like tiered level of, hey, you get discounts at here, here, and here. We keep it a simple price per cubic meter. You pay for what you use. Um, we invoice once a month for the previous month's scans. Um, we do give some volume discounts, you know, between if you're a container exporter that does 30,000 cubic meters a year versus a a break bulk exporter doing a, a million, million five, or you're a plantation owner doing, you know, five million. So there's different uh, pricing structures for, you know, volumatic approaches like that. But for the most part, everything's just done flat cubic meter, agree on a price that makes sense for, based on the volume that you're doing. And then we just leave it at that. So the goal for that would be for the user, if at any point you decide Timberize not the software we want to go with. It's just it, you can turn that off in an instant. I think that's the way to to approach that fairly. Right, and, and no strings attached. But you but you mentioned your churn uh, is is negligible or, or next to zero, right? So there are the existing customers are obviously filing value in the in the solution. QR code. Can we ever get rid of it? I'm just thinking of the flow. I'm sure someone's yeah. probably missing going like, oh man, it's yeah. just get rid <laughs> of this damn thing. One, you know, like Alex doesn't, Alex doesn't have to put it on the plane and get frisk full body scan. Or maybe you got to do the, for the viewers who can't see me, I'm doing the scan, you know, the iris scan at the airport where they oh, yeah. wave around you, right? Like, is there a future where we can ditch the QR thing? Yeah, and it's now. We actually, um, we support it with QR and without QR. So with LiDAR, we can actually take uh, the log from its environment and scale it as accurately as we can with the QR code. What we lose without the QR code is traceability. So we can scale individual logs, piles of logs. We can still roughly move the assets from one to another. But I, for me, I'm extremely OCD and I love to see customers put a QR code so I know exactly how this log originated here. I can watch the geolocation of this log, the audit trail, figure out how it ended up in China and see every step along the way, how long it took, every bit of analytics. You lose a lot of that without the QR code. So yes, it's actually possible. It's embedded in our app to not use a QR code. We have customers that do it. Um, you know, you might say if you're a pulp producer producing 5 million cubic meters of pulp with little sticks that big, you're not going to get on there and put little QR codes. So for use cases like that, where you're doing massive amounts of volume. A lot of the stuff's typically sold by weight. Um, we support cases like that where you just don't need to put the QR code. It would just be way too labor intensive. Do you think there's a way of still 
keeping traceability but without a QR code or that's too Star Trekky or yeah I you know I've like if you would have asked me a couple of years ago like what we're doing right now would have sounded too Star Trekky so I don't think so I think <laughs> that's definitely possible um it's a question that I brought up to my co-founder quite a bit and it's like hey let's like let's get this nailed and then we'll talk about that but I don't know, maybe something with like identifying growth ring. I don't think the technology is quite there yet. I think it's get it's, you know, we're probably, I don't know if I had to throw a dart at it, maybe five years away from something that can uniquely identify the small end shape of a log against any other shape and be able to, you know, uniquely identify it that way. I think that could be tough, but, um, you know, a log may look like this one day and then you slap some mud on it and then all traceability goes out the window. So I, We'll see. Uh, hopefully we're the first ones to uh to nail it if it's if it's something that can be done. But yeah, yeah. So that's that's a very good point. Absolutely. So you know, when we're 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 warming up for this podcast and just meeting and greeting, chatting, you're kind of sharing, you know, all the travel and and it's crazy, you know, everyone who's young is like, oh, I want to travel, I want to do all this travel. And then for some of us who travel a lot, it's kind of like, how do I not travel? I don't want to travel anymore. Can someone else go? Or do we really need to travel? And all this this jazz. But I was surprised that I didn't hear Europe on the travel list because with the, uh, and you probably can describe, I'll get you to describe it with the whole EU, there's a deforestation uh, regulation coming in for traceability, chain of custody and all that jazz. What what does that mean to you guys? Because I assume that's another, you know, piece of the market that that Timberite could gobble up. Yeah, so, and it's definitely on our radar. Um we found out really early with a smaller team, we decided to go extremely wide and it was extremely hard to cover all that ground all at once. So we decided to narrow in, we went, you know, continent by continent. And uh, we're actually making a push into Europe uh, starting mid-September this year. My co-founder and I will be there for 90 days, just living in Europe and visiting customers that we have prospected over there now. So we've had a lot of strong interest from Europe. We just really, for lack of time and manpower I haven't been able to make the trip we've actually made one trip over there and spent some time in germany and scotland and a few other places um and with that traceability um we now have where we didn't back then on our first visit the ability to geolocate the origin of the log the forester the forest the trucker and have that all embedded in the log level data so for anyone in the eu that needs traceability from the foreign country of origin we have all of that in great detail now. So I think we're our products a little bit more ready to approach that market and, and solve some of the problems that they're seeing over there. Um, and that's, yeah, coming up really soon. So that market and uh, New Zealand, Australia were the two that we uh, kind of shined away from until, until we kind of finished what we had on our plate and uh, made a little extra room in the pipeline. For sure. It's always kind of funny. You pick where you want to focus and then inevitably everyone's pushing you in the areas you're like, no, no, we're good. We're going to get there, but we got to do this part. We got to win this market first. So absolutely. And and so thinking of bad actors, is there such a scenario bad actors? You know, I'm going to come up with my ninja outfit. I'm going to start pulling QR codes and staples and swapping them around does it really matter or or what do you what do you see on the ground there there's um it you know that really it's a really good one to ask and it really depends where you're at in the world um that's that definitely happens and there's places where timber theft is prevalent and that's one that we've been really interested in um in the united states you don't see a lot of timber theft in south america you see a little bit in africa you see quite a bit um and i think a lot of that's attributed to not only timber theft, but just bad data to analyze what's actually happening in the plantation. So 
we've been focusing a lot of our efforts lately on trying to mitigate or try to, you know, find ways around people performing acts like that, like ripping QR codes, putting it on another load. Um, we now track geolocations within a zone. So like if you're in Africa, we know the exact farm plantation to compartment to stack to log that you actually scale where exactly was at within a couple meters. So if you were to take that tag and, you know, pull it off and go run down the street and put it on another log, we would, we would actually know about that. And you can't scan the same tag more than once. So you'd actually be creating another log record. Um, so there's a few things. I mean, we're far away from saying that, hey, we can prevent timber theft with TimberEye, but I think as far as being able to accurately capture origin, uh, relevant partners, geolocations, things like that, I think we have, in my opinion, the best product on the market for it. And when we eventually introduce this product to the European Union, I think they'll be uh, pretty satisfied with the amount of traceability that you can get all in one, one application. Sure. So if I'm rocking an iPad Pro, does it is there any value rocking in a Tim Bryan an iPad Pro has a LiDAR or or do you just not want to be that guy with a big phablet or a tablet phone talking in your <laughs> ear? Any value or is it really just personal choice? You can you can use an iPad Pro if you want. Um, you know, the standard that we uh our favorite to deploy is the iPhone 12 Pro. Um 12 Pro or 14 Pro are the, typically the two that work the best. Um, we'll also put them on these, uh, they're called Joby sticks or like a, like a really high quality selfie stick. So we'll use that to keep the phone upright. And then they just kind of, you know, go QR code to QR code like that it makes it easy to get up and you got to get like four meters up in the air, but so you got uh, to bring phones, you got to bring staples, you got to bring paper, you got to now bring like Joby stick, you got to, like, man, yeah, we'll have like, you know, multiple check bags full of just like really weird stuff like that. And customs is always like, well, we got to talk about this. What do you got? <laughs> crazy stories crazy stories so as we as we look forward um what gets you excited in the morning like thinking you're obviously in the tech space sounds like your co-founder is very ideas guy with technical skills and you probably have to keep them at bay at times like, oh, let's let's finish you know let's execute this part of the strategy before we start doing something oh hold your horses that's what i'm sounding maybe not you're laughing so it's probably true there's always one that's just go 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 and someone that has to bring reality and it's not that easy even though we think it's all easy but when you look into the future being immersed in this tech and obviously global footprint which is awesome because often you know, when i chat with people they're so focused on one geographic niche and you pointed out like forestry even though it's the business of forestry it does vary depending where you go but what's is there a piece of technology that gets you really excited as you look forward in the the, the trajectory and and the roadmap for timber eye yeah i think um just where the current technology is, is really exciting. I think the traction that we've gotten in a short period of time is extremely exciting. And what we can do with the existing technology is really exciting. There's still a lot of tools that we can build on this. Like I said, our segue into lumber, that's going to be really exciting. So um, a lot of what we already have at our disposal, we're going to be able to build a lot of really cool tools. Um, you know, we're experimenting a lot with augmented reality. I think that's one that's really got us interested. Um like uh, the new kind of like Apple Pro, like the vision goggles, those, you know, can we scale logs with someone just putting like a vision goggles on and just looking at a log saying scale, like a lot of really cool things that we can experiment with, with new technology that's arising. Obviously AI, you know, um, I think one for AI for us would be, you know, how to accurately digest the analytics that you do have, like how do you process data and what, 
having AI kind of explain, you know, what you're looking at and how to make the best decisions from the analytics that you are digesting. So I think that's one that, you know, AI could really uh, be a, be an asset to in our, in our business. But yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot to, a lot to be excited with what we already have. There's a lot of really cool things that are going to pop up in the next, you know, five, 10 years that we'll wrap our arms around and hopefully develop something cool out of. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Now you mentioned you're venture backed and thinking in this space, there's a lot of opportunities. Are there any pro tips that you would share maybe to a young Alex Myers, if you had a chance or maybe someone else looking, listening and saying, you know, I got this great idea and I think I could, I could help this space as well, but, but I'm not really sure how to get started because again, as you know, in the entrepreneurial world, if you have the right question, there's many of us that are more than happy to to, you know, carve off time and help and share our experiences and stories. But are there any pro tips that you would want to share to, to some younger self of yourself or or others that are that that have a great idea and just not really sure how to to get going or what pitfalls to maybe to avoid or step over? Yeah, I would say if I'm like talking to my younger self, it would say, you know, go big. However big you think you're going right now, go 10 times bigger than that. I think uh not hesitating and, and just leap right in. If you if you're really passionate about a problem that you're solving, then the rest will take care of itself. I think the main thing is find something that's wrong with whatever it is that you're interested in and build a product that fixes that or makes life easier. I think with that, interest will follow and you know, funding will follow. And and if you're if you're on the right path and you're fixing the right problems and you're approaching it with the right mindset, then you can uh, you can make it happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as we look to wind down, I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this because as, as we mentioned in, in warm up, the, the 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 listenership or viewership is, is actually quite global. The, the heat map is fascinating to watch every time I check in on it. But for those who are looking to follow up uh, and, and learn more and possibly pilot, trial, buy, purchase, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? Are you one of those social media guys? Or you, you mentioned WhatsApp, uh, email or LinkedIn? Like what's the the, the most efficient way or, or the best way to get a hold of uh, you at Timberai? Yeah, we're uh, we're on LinkedIn. So anyone can hit me on LinkedIn at any time. Um, my email, Alex, A-L-E-X at timberieye.com. And those are the two best ways to get a hold of me. So, um, you know, if anyone's interested in just finding out a little bit more about it, um, you know, shoot me a shoot me a message on LinkedIn or or via email, and we'll get back to you and, and show you what we got. Well, there you go, folks. Alex Myers, COO, co-founder Timberai, just shared his his uh, his deets with you here. So, if you need to reach out and uh, learn more about Timberai and all the things that they can do, or or just you know get some uh, uh, insight from from Alex and his journey definitely reach out. So, Hey man, it was great. You know, this is our first time meeting. We've never seen each other on the circuit. I try and travel less now, but what an amazing story. I, I I'm just blown away by what you and your co-founder have achieved and, and the, the direction you're going. There's a lot of positives as, as you know, uh, at the macro level here with a lot of different drivers that are going to push you forward. Um, so definitely want to thank you for carving out some time. Really enjoyed the conversation. Any parting thoughts that, that you want to uh, give to the, the listenership readership? About Timber Eye, final thoughts? I think just, uh, you know, keep an eye on us. We're uh, we're making waves. Uh, we're moving very fast. We're picking up uh, a lot of uh, a lot of traction and we're we're going to be making a lot of waves here going forward. So, you know, stay tuned. Awesome. Always searching for PMF or product market fit. Sounds like uh, or I got muffled there, product market fit. 
PMF there. So it sounds like you guys are on the right track and, and killing it. So all the best. Thanks so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Cool.